Christmas, a time for family dinner, office parties, and fraudulence in the American banking system. Watch out, because the scissor hands are coming out this episode. Welcome to Channel 8 and a Half. Welcome back to Channel 8 and a Half, a podcast about film, television, and pop culture. My name is Andrew Hanna. I am Joe Galino. It is the week of Christmas, and funny enough, this is our 25th episode. But Joe, this isn't just any Christmas-themed episode. What are we talking about today? Is it a Christmas movie? That's the game we're playing today. We were going to play a game called Is It a Box of Snakes? And that's where Andrew shoves his hand in a bunch of boxes and has to guess if there's snakes in the box, but we scrapped that. It's more of a visual game. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not as effective over sound other than my screaming. <laughs> auditory medium, so we figured exactly. we'd go with this instead. Like you said, with Christmas approaching, we're looking at movies that feature Christmas, but may or may not be considered Christmas movies. It's a hotly debated topic, Andrew. They're Christmas-adjacent films, and whether or not you can categorize them as Christmas is what we are going to be arguing today, which I imagine this episode is going to be full of arguing, Yes, which is something that Joe and I do very well. We need to get more contentious on this show. I've always said we need more Christmas murders. Wow. That's right. We're going straight into it. I think we should define what a Christmas movie is before we get going. I completely agree. What is a Christmas movie to you? So to me, I think that Christmas needs to play a role in the plot. There needs to be some sort of Grinch character or Scrooge character, features Christmas themes, family, restoring good and order in the world, fellowship amongst men, and the plot beats and lines and music all kind of have a Christmas feel. And probably the most important aspect that is also the most intangible is whether or not it gets you in the Christmas spirit. So if it makes you feel like Christmas. I have very similar definition. There needs to be an omnipotence of Christmas within the movie itself. Yeah. Christmas also has to be the reason the movie is occurring. It has to be instrumental, just like you said, to the story yeah. and to the themes, to all of that. And so there has to be sort of this shroud of Christmas that encompasses the whole thing. And I think we can start with the most famously contested, is it a Christmas film, Die Hard. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie, Andrew? In my opinion, yes, it is definitely a Christmas movie. I agree. Good. So I guess we're not going to get as contentious Moving as you on. <laughs> We on. are terrible at this. We just said there's going to be arguing. Ugh. This episode's going to be so quick. We're 25 episodes in and we're still bad at this. <laughs> Tell me why Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Well, I think because Christmas is very much instrumental in Hans Gruber's plan, right? He, the whole reason why mm -hmm. he's breaking into Nakatomi is because it's going to be skeleton crew staff, less security. And then also that's the whole reason why John McClane goes to L.A. in the first place is because of Christmas. Hans Gruber, you got the Grinch. Very much trying to ruin everyone's Christmas. Exactly. In the end of the day, I think Die Hard is an adult home alone. Because, I mean, yeah, sure, Christmas is the reason why the parents go on vacation, but it could have been July 4th. It could have been an Independence Day. But True. Right? But there's still a fair amount of violence, but that doesn't mean that Home Alone isn't a Christmas movie. No, Brooklyn Nine-Nine literally made the joke, Home Alone is Die Hard for Kids. Oh, they did. Okay, there you go. Mm -hmm. A lot of the quotes have Christmas in them when he ties, oh. I think it was like a dead body and he drops and says, ho, 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 ho or something ho, like ho, that. Ho, 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 now I have yeah. a machine gun. 
Exactly. And in the end, you know, because they're in LA, instead of the classic dreamy snowfall, you have office papers falling from the sky, which is mm-hmm. a clever and cheeky way to do that. And even his wife's name is Holly. True. I feel like bringing that up, though, is a little bit of a stretch. Because out of all names, how much time have we spent on just trying to find names for characters in our scripts? Boy, you're not wrong. So if you're going to spend that much time, you're probably thinking, like, screw it. It's Christmas. Name her Holly. <laughs> <laughs> the entire movie itself is predicated on John McClane finding his family again, mm-hmm. too. And that yeah. embodies the spirit of Christmas. Exactly. A lot of Christmas movies and Christmas scenes in non-Christmas movies have to do with togetherness and being together during the Christmas season. Literally, the change in the movie is him finding his family. So it embodies everything that Christmas is about. All of the imagery is Christmas themed. They use a Christmas song on the closing credits. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it all checks out. Well, and down to, you know, fellowship amongst men, you have the relationship with him and Winslow. I I forgot what his name is in the movie, but, (laughs) you know, he shows up as a cop in Boy Meets World as well. What? Like, yeah. Really? Yeah, Christine and I were watching it. And I was like, do you know who that is? And she's like, yeah, but I don't know if it's because he's just wearing a cop uniform or <laughs> it's because it is actually Winslow from Family Matters. I feel like that dude never took off a cop uniform. Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't remember that. I think it was when Sean was like going to break into the school or something like that. And his motorcycle teacher, the one you were talking about. Mr. Turner. Mr. Turner, that's right. Ends up kind of vouching for him and says, yeah, he's staying with me. Mm, But that's beside the point. Just the relationship between him and John McClane in the movie, it's, you know, like they're teaming up. Like I love their partnership that they form over the course of the film and the limo driver kid as well. There's little family, you know? So I just found that movie to really get me into the Christmas spirit. And I find it hard not to think of Christmas when I think of Die Hard. I think it is ridiculous that people don't consider it a christmas movie just because of the violence not all christmas movies have to be warm and fuzzy and like white christmas yeah yeah and we're going to talk about one later too gremlins that very much falls into this i can't go back and forth if gremlins is going to be a christmas movie which to me it is spoilers then die hard has to be too i haven't seen gremlins that's okay so much about it. it so tell me why you think gremlins is a because exactly like die hard gremlins is entirely predicated on Christmas and really the entire point of Gremlins. And this is where I know a little bit of the backstory of how it was made or why it was written. Chris Columbus wrote it and actually wanted to take Christmas, this warm, fuzzy holiday, and juxtapose it with these horrible monsters that go around just absolutely ripping people to shreds. The themes of Gremlins are not uplifting, but they everyone does end up together at the end. Yeah. But so much of it is is this this dark dark feeling. You know, Christmas is not warm in Gremlins. There's a very famous scene, probably the most famous scene in Gremlins where Phoebe Cates who plays the the love interest to the main character tells the story of why she hates Christmas. And it's because her dad snuck into the chimney one year dressed as Santa Claus, holding presents, but got stuck in the chimney and died. Oh, my word. (laughs) And they didn't find him for a week. (laughs) And all of this scene is scored with a very haunting version of Silent Night, just playing playing very quietly during the scene. And it's it's a very good scene. Look it up. If you haven't seen Gremlins, you might have seen that scene. And it's it's all about Christmas, but not the good parts of Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, like I've seen parts of Gremlins, I'm sure, because I have images in my mind of the movie, but I don't think I've ever actually seen it all the way through. And I probably should because Gremlins does come up a lot in just film conversations. Mm -hmm. 
not that it's you know like a a feat of cinematic history but no i actually think gremlins 2 though the new batch mm-hmm. is an incredible satire and maybe better than the first gremlins this is a this is a hot take is it like is it like chucky where the first was more of a straightforward horror and all the subsequent movies were more goofy satires of the genre all right pause on christmas i hate the chucky movies and not like i hate them because they're scary i hate them because i think they're stupid chucky to me is the dumbest horror movie out of all horror movies it's a tiny doll take the batteries out you won but but it's a satire. I don't think it's actually meant to be. I, that's why I'm saying is like I think the the first. I hate Chucky. I never liked Chucky, but I, I thought the first movie was supposed to be like a legitimate like horror movie, like supposed to scare you. And then after a while, it stopped trying to scare you and made it about kind of Chucky being Goofy. a little asshole. I mean, it did devolve it, into Bride of Chucky, where there's a, yeah, a female doll, kind of like Bride exactly, of Frankenstein. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, and by the end, it probably did. But I never understood the appeal of Chucky. That's kind of what Gremlins does too. Is the first one is. Definitely a horror comedy. It is a comedic film. Yeah. It's really funny. Yeah. The second one goes fully into comedy and really isn't horrific at all. It's just more of a satire. But I think I think it's very funny. I gotta check it out. Yeah, I, I it's really it's written by Chris Columbus, who yeah, I like Chris Columbus. Also did Home Alone, which we just talked mm-hmm. about. Speaking of movies made in the early eighties though, Trading Places I rewatched last night. Watched it recently. I didn't realize how long ago I had watched it. Until I was watching, I was like, oh, I actually don't know what's going to happen. That's how long it's been since I've watched that movie. But I obviously really liked it because I bought it. And so it was kind of fun to re-experience it for the first time in a way. But I don't think that that's a Christmas movie, although Christmas does play a very big role as far as the backdrop. It could have been at any time of year. It is one of those movies that takes place during Christmas. But I agree with you. Oh, we're so bad at this. (laughs) It is not a Christmas movie, although a lot of the movie is based around Christmas. But the themes of Trading Places and the plot itself really have nothing to do with Christmas time. Again, like you said before, it could have been the 4th of July. It really doesn't mm-hmm. matter when this was. It could have been the middle of March. And I guess maybe it was more of the time of year, as in the, the fourth quarter, the new reports are coming out and all that stuff. Well, but yeah, I, they had to base it around. Like financially, <laughs> it had to be at the end of the year, So, but not Christmas. I feel like once you pass Christmas Day, it no longer becomes a Christmas movie. I feel like it always has Ooh. to take place before. Because before or during? Before or during, because when Harry met Sally, I always watch during Christmas time, but it's because it has a feeling of fall and it has Christmas scenes and it gets me in the Christmas spirit. But I don't think it's a Christmas movie at all because it takes place during the summer and spring. And then the last scene of the film is New Year's. So it's more of a New Year's film than anything else. Exactly. And so like once you pass Christmas Day, I don't think it qualifies unless you can think of something i can't off the top of my head because most of the christmas movies and i'm using air quotes have to stop at christmas yeah because that really devalues the whole kind of point exactly like love actually oh love actually is definitely a christmas movie but did it pass i have only seen it once i hated that movie it did pass christmas but so much of is a is a build-up to christmas that it has to count. It's the whole point of that movie is it's, it's leading up to Christmas. Yeah. You hated Love Actually? I didn't like it. Why? Maybe it's because of the hype behind it. And I need to watch it again. I know I need to. But nothing about that movie, I think, is a romantic film. Like, I think everyone is a piece of crap. 
you're not alone. That's not a minority opinion. There is a very, very strong contingent of people who absolutely hate everything Love Actually stands for. I don't mind it. I kind of like it. I understand that it's not great. And I understand everybody kind of is awful, but I'm fine with that. And I'm wondering if it is. And that's the thing. That's why I want to rewatch is because I wonder if they meant to make everyone awful because it's like love actually is. Yeah, awful. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's not like all the other love stories. So I wonder. Like, if no, no, was. no. It's not us. It's you. <laughs> yeah. We told you what's going to happen. Exactly. In the title. I think trading places to go back to trading places. Yes. The reason why people think it's a Christmas movie is so much of the famous imagery happens around Christmas or Christmas Christmas stuff. Yeah. I think the most famous still image of the movie is Dan Aykroyd after he's been broken. You know, he's been living on the street. He's this disheveled hobo yeah. in a Santa suit eating a fish on the subway. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he, and I actually think that that was a real fillet of salmon because it, the way it was breaking apart while he was putting it in his jacket I was like oh no I think that's real and there's something so uncomfortable about that and the fact that he didn't like bother moving it around his beard no he pulls it through his beard straight in <laughs> it's so disgusting but yeah, he's dressed as Santa Claus. And okay, Rick and Morty's episode, Anatomy Park, is about a homeless man dressed <laughs> as Santa Claus. Are they making a reference to Trading Places? I don't think so. I just think it's a homeless man dressed as Santa Claus. It's Dan Harmon, dude. He had to have read, like, wedged that in there. I wouldn't read that much into it. You don't think he... No. I don't know. How many homeless men do you know dressed as Santa Claus? I mean, you see him all the time because they give... I mean, what mall Santa isn't probably a homeless man. <laughs> We had a we had a Santa Claus at my last job during Christmas time. And one year we always got the same Santa Claus. And one year he had surgery right before Christmas, but he makes most of his money because he's retired and his his wife basically manages him and gets him his gigs. But he's retired. And so he got his surgery right before Christmas time. So he had to work the poor guy. And so he had a catheter on while he was and so he would have to take breaks sometimes in the middle and be like oh it's santa you'd hear over the radios like santa has to go change his catheter <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad like can you imagine if, like a kid sat on the bag like <laughs> did you know the ending of trading places by the way where the the two brothers are trying to corner the market on concentrated orange juice yeah, yeah. that actually happened but it didn't happen with orange juice. It actually happened with onions. Oh, really? Yeah. So what happened is one of the two commodities that you can't trade on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange where you trade commodity futures mm -hmm. is movie box office receipts. So you can't trade futures on box office and onion futures. And the reason why, <laughs> I'm not kidding. And the reason why it was the Onion Futures Act of 1958 is because there was a guy in upstate New York, an onion farmer, who yeah. literally wanted to corner the market on onions. And he did. He bought all of the onions, I think 98% of the onions in the entire country. And so he owned all these onions. And what he did is he bought futures contracts for the onions. He then bought all of the onions. So he controlled the price of the onions. And then he flooded the market and shorted all the onion contracts. So he devalued the price of onions. And by shorting the contracts, obviously they went to zero. So he profited yeah. off of that too. And then everybody was like, hey, this guy just basically, it's market manipulation. It's a monopoly at that point. He did. He monopolized he onions, manipulated the market, made a ton of money. Everybody else was going, this should be illegal, even though it wasn't at the time. And then the government changed the rules and said, okay, you can't do that. And I that's monopolies why it, were always illegal. That's not a monopoly, though. 
He's, he's controlling just, one commodity, isn't he? But he's not. It's not a company. He's not a company. He's just a man who bought all the onions. Oh, so he didn't have like he didn't, he didn't have a like... company. He was just a guy. He was just a man who went out and <laughs> bought all the onions. And so in, in Chicago, the, the Onion Night. Oh yeah, quite literally. And so <laughs> when when they were transporting these onions, they would transport them by train into Chicago into Union Station, and they would just have these barrels of onions, like bags, fifty pound bags of onions that were worth about ten cents. Because the demand or the supply was so much that there yeah. was no value to these onions. You couldn't give them away. So they just dumped them into the Chicago River. And this guy, by sh- again, going long on the contracts, profiting off of that, and then shorting them, just, I profited mean- Profited on the come up prof- and profited on the downfall. Profited on the downfall, too. Yeah. And that's why you cannot trade onion futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. They couldn't just make it like fair instead of- like they just, no, they were just like, no more onions. Because you can do it with apples. Like if you really yeah, want to. I mean, you really could. Understand. Really, the, the solution was like, just like no, no, no more onions. Nobody's allowed to trade onions anymore. No. Like, you're, you fail to see what the problem is. It's not the onions that's the problem. Mm-hmm. It's so and, stupid. And actually, the futures market is really weird. So in the end of trading places, they essentially enact, not essentially, they do insider trading. They know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. They have the crop report. They know what the price of onions is going to be. So then they profit off of it. That's insider trading. Yeah. Stock market, there's really strict laws for yeah. insider trading. That's what Gordon Gecko sent him to jail. And Martha Stewart. In the commodity market, it's kind of like fast and loose commodity market. Like it's the wild, wild west. There aren't really strict laws. They probably would have gotten away with that. Interesting. In, in real life, if that if that scenario actually happened. I mean, they technically did. The only reason why they went broke was because at the end of the day, they were like, okay, pay up. And he was like, you know, we don't have $50 million or billion dollars or whatever it was. Yeah, because they go, hey, boys, margin call, even though that's not the way margin calls work. But it doesn't matter. It's more fun this way. (laughs) Wait, but uh, is there an after credit scene? Because I remember seeing the image of the two old guys as homeless men. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, right? Oh, maybe. No, that's a different movie, though. You're thinking of something else. Oh, what are you thinking of? Are you sure it wasn't trading places? Oh no! Yes, I am no, thinking of something no, else. No, no, no. You're thinking of something else. Um, because the Duke, the Dukes are in something. Oh, coming, coming to, to America. America. God, That's what it was. I was thinking, does coming to America? It does have Christmas in it because I remember there's a Christmas tree in mm-hmm. the McDowell's house. It's set during Christmas time. It Christmas time is in it. I would never call it a Christmas movie, though. It is in it, but I wasn't sure if it was like it went past it. I wouldn't call it a Christmas movie. I mean, it's an immigrant movie. True. I mean, really, it's just an excuse for Eddie Murphy to wear a costume and dress up as an old man. I had no idea that Dan Aykroyd did blackface. Yeah. Trading Places does not age well. Oh, not in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) Through the whole film, I'm watching this, I'm thinking, oh my God, like on so many levels, this movie would just not... Does not age well. Oh, it's so interesting. So we've reached a verdict. Trading Places, not a Christmas movie. Not a Christmas movie. What's next on your list? Speaking of the stock market, we can talk about It's a Wonderful Life. Oh boy, can we. All right. So you have a hot take on this, so I'm going to let you go ahead and go off, and and then I can come in and tell you why you're incredibly wrong. Strap in, kids, because It's a Wonderful Life is not a Christmas movie, and I am correct. And here is why. As we've established, just because something takes place during Christmas does not mean it's a Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful Life opens at Christmas, yes, but the majority of it does not take place during Christmas. It's essentially a biopic of George Bailey, just a guy. His existential crisis has nothing to do with Christmas. It just so happens to take place at Christmas time. The fact that he's going to jump off of a bridge could have happened, like we said, in March. 
doesn't matter. Even the scenes that are set during Christmas focus on a plot involving more banking than Christmas. It doesn't matter that it's Christmas. It... <laughs> George Bailey wants to give out loans to people so they don't have to live in the slums. Where Mr. Well, Potter... also so that his bank doesn't become insolvent, so they decide to work together, basically. True. But Mr. Potter doesn't give people loans unless they can prove that they can pay them back, which is a prudent business strategy. No, but no. Potter was a predatory lender. Oh, he's a dick about it. He wants to make sure people can pay back their loans. George Bailey just wants to give out loans to people who can't pay them back, which is how the 2008 financial crisis happened. We're in the middle of a student loan crisis. George Bailey would have caused the crisis is what I'm George saying. George even shows him the paperwork and the salary and insurance of the homeowner who took out the loan. And Potter's whole motivation is that he doesn't want anyone to own any home so that they're forced to live in his rental properties, of which he controls most of them in town. He's not a good businessman. He's just a crook. He would have created more problems for that town in the long run than anyone else. Really, that angel should have pushed him off the bridge and saved everyone the trouble. If anything, George saves the town by having everyone work together. He was able to ensure that everyone could have enough to survive. How? How did everybody work together? By giving him the money? No, 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 no. So they... When the market crashed... Mm -hmm. Everyone rushed to take their money out of the banks. However, because banks don't just have the exact amount on any given day to pay out every single account they have on file, only the people that got there first would be able to get their money out. But George stops them and says, hold on, let's take a breath and work together. I'll give you exactly what you need to pay your bills. And if we all just withdraw only what we need, then we can all survive instead of just the people that can take their money out being able to survive and everyone else being screwed. What he did stabilized the town and allowed the people to survive until things got better. He shouldn't have been given out loans in the first place. He should have been smarter. He shouldn't have been taken advantage of. He wasn't taken advantage oh, of. He absolutely was. George Bailey is a fool. He's a fool who deserved what he got. You are Mr. Potter. <laughs> Not only that, at the end, when George Bailey goes, well, I guess we all need to be together and everybody's just going to give me money to bail me out. What does he learn? All the people around him are going to suck him dry until the day that he dies. That's all he learns. Here's the thing. It, George Bailey, yes, does always put people before him. That's and why his brother... And when he starts thinking about himself, he thinks, oh, God, it's all awful. These people treat me terribly. I'm going to jump off a bridge. No, it's because his, his uncle lost $8,000. It had nothing to do with the market crash. If anything, it happened after World War II. Mm-mm. What are you shaking your head about? Those are the actual facts of the film. George Bailey comes to that realization after he starts thinking about how people treat him. They're going to continue to treat him like that after this, just because they have one fun, oh, let's hug it out under a Christmas tree moment. It's not going to prevent anything. Nothing good is going to happen. Nothing's going to change. By the way, the argument that the angel makes when he's like, I wish I'd never been born. And then he takes him back and shows, well, if you were never born, George, this is what would have happened. But if he jumped off that bridge, he wouldn't have prevented all of that stuff from happening. It wouldn't have erased him from time. So he would have done all that good stuff anyway. The, the movie itself is based on a house of cards that falls down and shatters. It's a Wonderful Life is overrated, saccharine nonsense. This is fun. We get to argue now. You are completely and utterly wrong, with the exception of technically does not meet the criteria of a quote-unquote Christmas movie in that it really could take place any time of year. However, the themes and setting definitely are Christmas. Yeah, depression and drinking? You're right. Christmas is about feeling sad. I agree with you, Andrew. Christmas does sometimes come with sadness and heartbreak. However, the point of the angel showing him what would happen if he was never born 
isn't to say that if he jumped off the bridge, all that would be erased. It was a rebuttal to George saying, oh, I wish I was never born. At which point the angel shows him that if he wasn't around, the many lives he touched would be far worse off. Some would be drunk, some would be homeless. The whole town basically goes to shit because of your beloved Potter. And he showed him that, yes, he put others before himself, but he made the world a better place. And in the end of the day, all those people that he helped came to his aid in his time of need. It's a wonderful life. Ah, yes, the Christmas spirit. An attempted suicide, white-collar crime, a grown man beating a child until he bleeds out of his ears, and the ultimate lesson, the working poor should accept their terrible circumstances and essentially sweep under the rug the resulting financial crimes. Shut up and be happy. Ah, love that Christmas spirit. Mm, oh, you're the wonderful most cynical life. person the warm on blanket earth. of financial crime. You know what? For the image for this episode, I'm just going to superimpose your face on Potter's face and just have you in the corner and then yelling about George Bailey. Pointing to my face going, he was right. I agree with that. Potter, his methods were villainous. But look, got to make sure that people can pay back those loans. If we all listen to George Bailey, we would all just be up to our eyes in debt. George Bailey was never handing out loans to people that couldn't pay them back. You're pulling that out of your ass. The message of It's a Wonderful Life is everyone is terrible all the time. It is depressing and it is not a Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas movie in that it embodies all the themes of Christmas that we listed off in the beginning. You have Potter's Your Grinch. You have the Restoration of Order fellowship amongst men family and i would argue it is the most uplifting christmas Ugh, movie uplifting why would you want a movie Ugh. where everything is sweet and rosy that is not life at times your life falls apart if anything what makes this movie uplifting is that things get so bad for him and it doesn't sugarcoat it like most films of that time. It challenges the premise that to help others and put others before yourself is foolish and stupid. Because in the end of the day, all those people that he helped came to his aid in his time of need. Yeah, foolishly. They, sh they shouldn't have given him the money back. Why is that foolish? Because that basically validates all of the, the screw-ups. What screw-ups? His uncle lost the eight grand. The screw-up of losing the money in the be to beginning. Mr. Potter gets away with it. The villain wins. Well, that's the point of the movie. Everyone screws up. Everyone falls on hard times. And if we can't help each other, then what the hell's the point? Then you end up like George Bailey, a fool everyone takes advantage of. We need more people like George Bailey because the whole reason the world is screwed up as it is is because of people's inability to look outside of themselves and help one another. The angel showing him what the town would be like without him help George look beyond the current dark circumstances and to see the bigger picture of the many lives he bettered and that if he were to take his own life, it might solve the current problem with the life insurance money, but would deprive the entire town of the effect that George has on their lives. They wouldn't be affected for any worse than they already are. They would have been fine. They would have been perfectly fine. And they're going to continue to take advantage of George Bailey after this. What are you talking about? The first person he comes into contact with is the pharmacist who becomes a homeless man because he ends up poisoning the kid and then goes to jail. And all of his friends all live in Potter's slums. They're not going to change just because of this one thing. Yeah. you're At this point, you're just arguing to argue. At any rate, at least we finally delivered on the premise of this episode <laughs> where we're going to argue with each other. Let's move on, though, to our next one that I think straddles the line. Because it has both Christmas and Halloween in the movie, Nightmare mm. Before Christmas. Andrew, is it a Christmas movie? Let me preface this with, I watched Nightmare Before Christmas for the first time last night. Okay. I didn't see it when I was younger because my parents never really put it on for me. So it wasn't really a part of my childhood. But growing up, everyone around me was like, you haven't seen Nightmare Before Christmas? It's just all the time. It was like this cult following and they'd 
crucify you every time you'd say, oh, I haven't seen it yet. It is one of those movies that people would go, what? I think that was the reason why I had kind of held off mm-hmm. on watching it. If you'd like to feel better, by the way, I will reveal a dirty secret of mine. Mm. We all have blind spots. I have never seen Home Alone. Are you serious? I'm very serious. And there's plenty of opportunities to watch it. It's on Freeform, formerly ABC Family, all the time. It's literally on TV right now. I could be watching it. There's my my dirty laundry. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to do what everyone did to me all my life. So mm-hmm. that's the thing is I feel like those movies we had to watch at that time. Like you might not get as much enjoyment out of Home Alone or Night Before Christmas if you're just seeing it in your adult age. You hit a certain point where it just becomes the thing you're going to get to. And one year I was like, screw it. It was like eight years back. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to go buy it. I'm going to watch it. This is the year I buy it. I wait until Christmas time. It was like two months. And then I pop it in and it's not playing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm just not meant to watch this movie. <laughs> and so I just didn't watch it until last night. I was like, okay, I should really watch it. It's not long. It's only about 75 minutes. Yeah, it's it's not long at all. I liked the story. The songs weren't great to me. I like the Oogie Boogie song. The Oogie Boogie song is good. And then also the, what's this? What's this? There's music in the, you know, that whole song. Mm. I really like that. I never liked this is Halloween song. The rest of the songs, I was like, okay, let's move on. But the story itself is actually really funny that, you know, they basically... Halloweenize Christmas yeah. in a way, which is funny and cute. I actually like that portion of it. And I remember the level in Kingdom Hearts was actually a lot of fun to play. So would you say it's more of a Halloween movie than a Christmas movie? No, I would say it's a Christmas movie. Ooh, interesting. I think it's a Halloween movie. I mean, it's both technically, but I would say it's a Christmas movie more than it is a Halloween movie. Oh, that's so interesting because I think it's more of a Halloween movie for the sheer fact that Jack Skellington learns at the end to love Halloween, to go back to loving Halloween through his experiences with Christmas. And so Which, it kind of- What is the theme at that point? Is it pro-segregation? <laughs> like... You're a skeleton and you don't do Halloween. Yeah, right? Stay in your corner. No, but here's the thing, is the inciting incident is Christmas. It is. The whole movie, his goal is to try to recreate Christmas. It takes place- on Christmas. Mm-hmm. So it begins actually after Halloween. It even ends with snow falling from the sky. It does have much more Christmas in it than Halloween, but I think of it primarily as a Halloween movie and because it reignites his love for Halloween. It reignites his love for Halloween, but Halloween never is featured in it. It's not as much. It's not based in Halloween. Like, I understand what you're saying. It's themed as Halloween because I, I would argue that there is just as much Halloween-y stuff mm-hmm. in it as Christmas. But I think the whole driving force, all the motivations revolve around Christmas. And I think that his infatuation with Christmas is his main arc. It's the one that straddles the line the most. Yeah, Night Before Christmas, I think, is good to watch in both occasions. But in my opinion, I think it gets me in the Christmas spirit a lot more. Like, I, I would feel weird watching it on Halloween. Oh, you should not watch ABC Family Freeform because they, oh, no, I know. they yeah. burn through Nightmare Before Christmas just on a loop during Halloween. It's a Thanksgiving movie. That's what it is. <laughs> just put it in the middle. <laughs> just put, put it in the middle. <laughs> what do you got next? Speaking of marathons on television, do you think that there is validity to the Harry Potter marathons during Christmas time? I think there's validity to them in that a lot of the early movies have a very strong emphasis on Christmas within them, but they are certainly not Christmas movies. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're Christmas movies, but they do fulfill a lot of the quote-unquote requirements that we set for it. Also, that there is always a Christmas chapter or a scene in every movie. The UK, Britain really takes Christmas seriously. Yeah. And I think it's because they don't have a Thanksgiving. Or Halloween. 
They have Halloween. They now have Halloween, but I don't think they had Halloween before. They probably it's Halloween. probably become more prevalent now. Yeah, I think it Halloween. recently made its way into Europe, but <laughs> there was this, uh, I think he was a governor uh, in Italy, and it was the week of Halloween during COVID, and he gave this hilarious address because they were worried people were going to throw parties for Halloween, and he says we're, we're closing everything early on Halloween. Halloween is this i think he says it's this immense stupid american extravagance oh, that. that we've imported into our country halloween is a monument to imbecility <laughs> <laughs> but going back to harry potter i think that despite not being christmas movies they do possess the intangible quality of the spirit of christmas and that could also have a lot to do with the fact that a lot of the movies take place during winter and snow a lot of the important chapters in harry potter do take place during Christmas. Christmas does play a big part in the movies and the books themselves. It's a completely understandable reaction. Again, I would never call them Christmas movies, but associating, and a lot of people do, a lot of people associate the Harry Potter movies with Christmas for that exact reason. Yeah, I I would agree. It, It makes sense why they have Christmas marathons. But what did you have that you didn't think had a case for being a Christmas movie? It's a good question. And I think there's an argument to be made for this, although ultimately I do not believe it's a Christmas movie. Batman Returns. Christmas is a very big part of the movie. The entire movie takes place during the Christmas season. But a lot of the themes really don't have to do with Christmas. The imagery certainly does. Tim Burton did both, right? Batman and Batman Returns? Yes, he did the first Batman, 89, and then Batman Returns, which I would argue is the stronger of the Tim Burton Batmans. Not as famous because it doesn't have Nicholson as the Joker, but Batman Returns is really good. I think Tim Burton has a thing with Christmas. Yes, he does. Because Edward Scissorhands also takes place during Christmas. And I don't view Edward Scissorhands as a Christmas movie either. Yeah, I don't either. It was on my list, but I was like, eh, it's not... You can't even argue for it. I didn't even remember it was part of Christmas until I looked it up. It certainly takes place during Christmas, and a lot of the falseness of Christmas is put on display in Edward Scissorhands because it takes place in California. And so it's a lot of the fake snow, the fake decorations, things like that. And it makes sense when you think about where Tim Burton grew up, which was Burbank, California. (laughs) Yeah. And so I I think that Edward Scissorhands' and Tim Burton's fascination with Christmas through the lens of growing up in the desert is really, really interesting. Yeah, you know, it's uh, growing up in L.A., you really feel as though you're kind of robbed of that Christmas experience because you don't get the white Christmas. You could get a 90-degree day in the middle of December in L.A. Mm-hmm. You also had a couple of honorable mentions on your... Well, maybe not honorable mentions. I don't know. I, ha- I Yeah, I mean, like you had like I Am Legends, the pandemic starts... During Christmas, so there's Christmas decoration everywhere. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it has nothing to do with Christmas, so I couldn't even. You can't even argue for that. And then the other one was LA Confidential starts out at Christmas, but I don't think it starts out at Christmas, but then it goes on from there. It doesn't really. Christmas does play a memorable part in it, though, and it it does play into the themes of Christmas, where a lot of Christmas is about togetherness. You know, Russell Crowe's character, you know, he plays a cop and he says, well, the married men get Christmas Eve off, which him being alone at Christmas is a big part of the character itself. And that Catch Me If You Can also does this, too, where DiCaprio and Tom Hanks are talking and they talk during Christmas. And Christmas is a really good way of of time passage. Well, also, if you're trying to make a character seem more lonely have them go through Christmas. Be Yeah, be alone on Christmas. Yeah. And in Catch Me If You Can, that's used as basically one of the only things that rattles DiCaprio's character is when he's talking yeah. to Tom Hanks and Hanks goes, why'd you call me? Oh, it's because you don't have anyone else to call. And it's very villainous the way he says yeah. it. It's very malicious. Yeah. 
And DiCaprio realizes that and slams the phone down. But that dig hits DiCaprio, especially because it catch me if you can so much about family and the, the, the scenes during Christmas all emphasize that, you know, Mm -hmm. when he finally gets arrested, he's looking in at his old home with his mom in a new family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of those, I mean, there's multiple scenes. I think it also ends. He gets arrested on Christmas. The climax is on Christmas day in France. And then mm-hmm. he, he goes, oh, it, he didn't realize that. And the climax, he goes, oh, it must be Christmas, Carl, because every Christmas I'm talking to you. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. I never actually thought about it. But I would I never think. call Christmas, Catch Me If You Can a Christmas movie, but Christmas plays a very big part. In big that. part. Yeah. Yes. Because they always have their run-ins on Christmas. Yep. That's interesting. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap. I think that wraps it up. I think that's an episode right there. Yeah, that about does it for this week's episode. What are your favorite movies that take place during Christmas? And do you think they are considered Christmas movies? Did you agree or disagree with anything we discussed? This episode is the last of 2020. We are taking our break for the holidays next week. However, we'll be back on January 7th. Thank you all for a wonderful first year of Channel 8 and a half. And we wish you and yours a very happy holidays and a happy new year. As we've mentioned before, we are shooting to reach 1,000 subscribers on YouTube to become partners. So if you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing. If you have any ideas for a theme you'd like us to discuss or a film, TV show, anything pop culture, let us know on YouTube, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find all those links on channel8andahalf.com. That's channel 8 and a half, completely spelled out, dot com. We have new episodes every Thursday. Until next time, my name is Joe Galino. And I'm Andrew Hanna, and this is Channel 8 and a Half.